Hi, welcome to the Axiom Podcast. This is Cameron Earhart. And today I have a very distinguished guest. <laughs> Guys, get ready. Joey Brandon, CEO of Axiom Strategic, will be joining us. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's an honor and a privilege to be here. We're excited <laughs> to have you. Um, so today we are talking about, or the question that we're going to try to answer for you is, are your kids ready to take over the business? So Joey, I have a question for you to start. Is Annalise ready to take over Axiom? <laughs> if you ask Annalise, she's absolutely ready to take over the business. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Annalise is my seven-year-old. She's gotten a lot of CEO practice with two older brothers telling the 17 and the 15-year-old what to do. But uh, one day, maybe I'll have to answer that question you know, more seriously. But it, yeah. it, I think it's a question that not a lot of people are comfortable asking out loud but it's definitely rattling around in the head of a lot of first or second generation business owners that have a second or third generation that's also involved in the business and potentially, you know, kind of in what you might call a, a line of succession, yep. you know, to, to take the business over. Well, before we jump into it, give a little bit of context because you've been doing this for years and we're, You've worked with a lot of businesses with multiple generations. We're currently working with a lot of businesses with multiple generations. So lay that framework a little bit. And then I got some questions I want to ask you. Well, you've got, you know, it's, it's kind of natural. It's funny how we have a lot of businesses that have a second or third generation. It's not necessarily because we hang out our shingle and advertise that we are family business specialists, but anybody who's working with, businesses in the space that we are, you know, from a, a few million dollars up to 50, 60, 70 million dollars and they're prime and they're they're owned privately, meaning there's no there's not necessarily a share ownership group, it's maybe one or two, maybe three owners. You know, they've been working that business to get it to that point. They've been working it for a lot of years, right? So they're mm -hmm. older. They're they're in their 40s, late 40s, 50s, 60s and, you know, most people are have kids, yeah. right? So these these business owners, like every other adult in their 40s, 50s, and 60s, has kids who are adult age or approaching adult age. And it's kind of natural for those kids to grow up around the business and then to maybe want to be a part of the business or to be asked to be a part of the business. And so it's something that we run into I know I would, we ran the statistics once and it was 70%. Now mm -hmm. I think it's probably 80%. You know, it seems like the more businesses, when we add a business, it's a very high likelihood there's going to be a second or third generation involved in the business. And it's got to be so exciting as that generation passing it down to know like my legacy is going to continue with my child. My son or daughter is taking it. Like that's just the cool thought. It is. And it is a, it's something that I think a lot of parents want, but there's a thought that usually precedes that or, or is kind of comes along with that as, you know, am I going to be able to retire? Yeah. <laughs> I still need the money, but right. I really want you to take it exactly. over. <laughs> the idea of a second generation stepping in is attractive from a legacy standpoint, but there's still the financial reality that a lot of these businesses They've not diversified. The business owners have not diversified for retirement, right? Yeah. The money that they've made, they've usually plugged right back into the business. And so they either need to sell the business so that they can make up ground on that retirement front. They can have assets to live off of if they're not going to be earning an income. Mm -hmm. Or they have to get to the business to a point where they can step away and not have as many day-to-day -day responsibilities and live off of the dividends from the business. Right. And that's ultimately the question a lot of them are are asking, maybe not overtly, but certainly in their head, they're thinking, if I step away, 
is the business going to continue? Is it going to do better? Is it going to be able to afford me? Is it going to be able to be afford me and the kids? And so those are all the questions that you get into. We're going to probably spend some time talking about that, but there's a lot of other questions too, just when it comes to the ability to lead a business that's grown to that size. All right, cool. Well, as good context, let's jump into it. First, let's talk about traditional approaches versus strategic approaches. Tell me more what you mean by that. There's probably, there's two ways that we see that the most common that people will handle succession is, is what I'm calling the traditional approach. And that's where we have that second generation or that, that up and coming generation basically rotate through all the departments we can. And yeah. maybe there's a couple of very technical departments that they're not necessarily qualified. Like accounting is one that you don't really necessarily see, but it's very common to say, well, we, we want them to be in the field in this department for a couple of years. And then in this department for a couple of years, and then we want them to be in sales for a couple of years. And then we want them to be in service for a couple of years. And it could be a couple, it could be, we've got some second generation business you know, second generation of business owners and they've been there for 30 years, right? So they've been, they've been there for a long time, but, you know, probably because they started at, I mean, a lot of these kids weren't even legal, right? Like 12, 13, 14 year old child labor laws, Sweeping the floors. Right? <laughs> but they've literally been in the business for that long. And, you know, at 16, 17 started to get a paycheck, right? Yeah. And have responsibilities and a supervisor that wasn't mom or dad. And so 30 years later, now they're 45, 46, 47, and mom and dad are 67, 70, somewhere in that neighborhood, but still very active in the business. So this idea of I'm going to have them work through the business. And I'd say like the 30 years is probably rare. It's usually more like I've got 23 or 24 year old son or daughter who's coming out of college and they come to work in the business. And I would really like, you know, now I'm, I'm kind of on a 10 or a 12 or a 13 year clock in my head of, can I get them enough experience in maybe two or three years per department over the course of four or five departments, I feel like is going to give them that kind of experience. And when they're hoping is that one, they'll develop some technical expertise. I mean, certainly they, they have this idea that if they're going to supervise people, they need to know how to do the job so that people can't, you know, blow smoke and, and, and fool them when the job's not getting done. But they also are looking, in my experience, they're wanting that second generation to kind of build rapport with everybody else in the company. Yep. And there's this idea that, you know, if they're out there in the trenches with them, you know, everybody's going to learn to love them and look up to them. And, and it'll just kind of be this natural progression from being a buddy in the field, working shoulder to shoulder, that now I'm the boss signing your paycheck. And when I say that to them, they kind of see the the error of that thinking like this. There's a big gap between shoulder to shoulder in the field. And now I am, I'm the person calling all the shots in the company. So it's, but you know, we don't always think these things through. We just kind of go one day at a time and hope that we're going to get to where we want to go. Yeah. It sounds like they want to make sure that when their child takes over, that they're respected mm -hmm. and it's not viewed up. The only reason they're the CEO now is because those last names. So it's like, well, let's just bounce them around and have them work with everybody. And hopefully they just earn the respect to everybody. Yeah. That happens naturally. It's true. You know, it's, it's unrealistic to expect they're going to build that rapport because some possibly even many people are going to resent the fact that they do have that last name. They kind of know, oh, you're just, you know, you're just here to earn your stripes. And then you're going to, my career is going to be here. Like I'm going to be here until I leave this place and you're just here for a little while. So don't pretend that we're <laughs> buddy, buddy, right? You know, yep. you're down here slumming it with us guys in the field, but pretty soon you're going to be up there in the, in the office. So, 
you know, I, I don't think it's realistic to expect that that rapport is going to happen. The other thing is that uh, an issue with this idea of having them work through departments is that you know, they are going to build technical expertise. But a lot of times the reason that that approach is popular is because that's the path mom or dad took, yeah. right? And they were driving the truck for a number of years before they were able to hire some more people and then move into a supervisory role. And that seems like a natural progression for them. And it would be if we were starting all over from scratch again. But the fact is we're starting at 20 or 30 or $40 million and technical expertise is not going to be the thing that gets us to the next level. Mm. Even, you know, technical expertise in the leadership office, what's really going to get us to the next level is a higher degree of leadership and managerial skill sets, yeah. which you're not typically going to develop in the field. So there's a few problems with it. The, the, another one is just that the, the credibility in the field doesn't translate to credibility in the office. And when you're a small business owner who's growing a business and your kids are small and you need help and you're going out and you're identifying people who have that leadership and managerial skill set, right? That they're, they've proven it and you're luring them away or you're giving them an opportunity to step into a role maybe their previous employer didn't. And those people... I mean, they've, some of them have worked 20, 30, even 40 years, right? And you're saying, oh, my son has worked in every department for three years and now it's time to bring him onto the leadership team. And they're like, what does this guy know about leadership? You know, so that, that credibility that you're looking for by putting them in the field oftentimes doesn't translate at all when you bring them into the office because there's a whole group of skills that they don't have that their colleagues do have. Wait, so you're saying... Technical ability does not translate directly into leadership skills. And I would say most of the time it doesn't. And, and we look at people who are successful in that leadership and managerial role and they came out of the field and we say, oh, that's how you do it. But that's selection bias. Because if you right. look at everybody who's ever started in the field, you'll find that a very small percentage make the transition into being managers instead of you know, the people who are charged with actually getting the work done. Yep. So you, you have to be careful where your assumptions come from. A study by Gallup across hundreds, I think it was actually thousands of organizations, thousands of managers, the top two reasons why people were promoted to managerial positions. Number one, was because they excelled at their non-managerial job mm -hmm. and, and, and the technical abilities. And then number two was that they had a lot of experience in tenure. <laughs> so you're speaking, it is like- Stick around long enough, right? And yeah. you'll get promoted, yeah. All right, so let's talk about the strategic way. Well, you know, not surprisingly, we're going to talk about strategic planning, right? Because it just, it's a more deliberate way to tackle this problem of succession. You know, when we, if we focus on whether or not the second generation is ready, it really ignores whether the company's ready for that transition, hmm. right? So it's not just that in that traditional role, you're looking out there in your or traditional approach, you're looking out there and you're saying, at some point, there's just going to be this, you know, kind of light bulb that goes off. It's an, it's, and it's an entirely subjective assessment that says, okay, they're ready. And then you're going to install that person with the expectation that the organi organization is going to be ready for the same change. Mm -hmm. And it assumes that that next generation is going to simply step into the parent's shoes and replace them as kind of the, the charismatic leader. 
you know, like the same vision, the same unspoken cultural values, the same unarticulated purpose, right? And and I'm saying that unspoken cultural values very deliberately because in those situations, it has been the charisma of the founder. I'm not saying that it's, you know, it's all cheerleading and rah-rah, like they've they've got some good systems and they've got some good processes. But when it comes down to it, the leadership really revolves around that central individual. So Mm -hmm. our approach would be to help the business build a roadmap around the succession that also took into account all the other ways, all the other things that they want to do to accomplish the vision of the business. So we have to get to this idea of a vision. Is there a vision for the business going forward? And have you built a plan around that, that the second generation can step into? Otherwise, you're just handing them this huge kind of grab bag of systems and processes and people and saying, you know, Hey, make sure that I don't go bankrupt, you know, when you start running this company and that's not a a great way to do it. So we want to, we want to build a system where they get experience on the leadership team and they can receive this mandate to drive the culture forward. So when we talk about culture, we're talking about the vision of the organization, like we talked about, the values, the strategies that are going to be pursued for the next couple, three years, the goals for the year. And if all that stuff is there and that second generation has been a part or can become a part of the team that is kind of leading that direction, then they can learn to focus their efforts across departments. And that's that's kind of a really key skill set. So we have somebody who comes into the organization or the kind of the leadership team, and maybe they have worked in all these different departments. And I think that would be a great thing. Like, yeah. I don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying it wouldn't be great for somebody who's going to be the leader of the company to have all this experience across the departments. Because I do think there's tremendous value in understanding how the work gets done. Including accounting. <laughs> Including accounting. Yeah, absolutely. At the very least, you know, a, a crash course in how to read financial statements from the, the controller. Yep. But when they get in... One of the things that we want to be able to have them practice is when issues come to the leadership team, can they get out of whatever operational silo they're in hmm. when in their regular responsibilities and say, help the sales department solve a sales problem or understand how if there's a, a primary strategy that the organization is pursuing in the strategic plan that's say around retention, right? And so let's say that we want to make sure that we retain way more customers than the industry average so that we can continue building new sales and, and, grow, and growing and not have customers leaving out the back door. And we want to focus on retention. And let's say that you're that leader is in, the, in sales at the time, that, that second generation. Well, being able to come onto the leadership team and understand what is sales role in driving retention rather than just say, oh, retention, that's a customer service issue. Like that doesn't have anything to do with me. So you guys work on that. I'm going to work on this. And when we can get the second generation, when there's a strategic plan to drive the organization forward and there's a second generation, now we start to begin to gauge how is that second generation able to work across departments? And there's shoulder to shoulder a lot of times with these folks, or maybe they're even kind of brought in as a junior leader to the leadership team. I've seen that sometimes, but are they willing to contribute 
to things that aren't directly their responsibility. Because when they aspire to ownership, there are no more boundaries, right? When you're sitting at the head of the table, then there's no sales department. There is no service department. There is no operations division. There is the company which you're responsible for. Yeah. And you can't get locked into this kind of thinking. Yeah. So I think the, the thing I like the most about viewing it this way, the strategic way versus the traditional ways, the traditional way is all about the person. And the strategic way is more about the company as a whole. And so I could see as a, as an employee, when it's the former way, the traditional way they're, they get a little resentful, they get a little bitter. They, you know, they have those question marks around, is this even the right person to take it over the company? But the strategic way it's more of, no, there's a plan in place. I know where we're going as a company and this person is stepping into that role to help lead us there. Mm-hmm. So it makes sense. I, I, yeah, I, I love this shifting of how we're viewing succession. Um, yeah, it's a very well put. You're taking away a lot of the question marks that exist under that traditional approach. When, when all they've done is spend time in different departments and all of a sudden they're given more responsibility. And I'm not saying like they're promoted into leadership just out of the blue. It's like, yeah. okay, now... John has been, you know, taking a tour of these departments and we're going to promote him to assistant sales manager and then sales manager. And then maybe we're going to move him over to like an assistant customer service manager and then customer service manager. And usually that stuff will happen kind of as vacancies open up, like you're not displacing longtime veterans, but you are taking advantage of opportunities when they present themselves to move this person around into different leadership positions. But there's always this question absent a bigger plan that everybody's accountable to. There's always these, these question marks of, of well, like, how are they going to lead? How, what are their plans going to be? What, have, what division do they think is going to be most important? Where do they think the company should be going in the next you know, five or six years? I'm, I'm eight years from retirement. I really don't want to have to go out and start over again. And when there's a plan in place, all those question marks disappear because everybody's accountable to that plan. The owner's accountable to that plan. The janitor's accountable to that plan. And the people on the leadership team kind of breathe this sigh of relief because like, oh, we're just plugging another individual into the plan. And yes, this individual is going to be a leader, but they're leading under the mandate and scope of the plan. Yeah, that's good. And, and when we talk about leadership, we always go back to servant leadership. And we, we talk a lot about your success as a leader is contingent upon the success of those you lead. And in other words, if your reports are all failing, you are failing as a leader. It's not that they're failing, you're failing. Right. <laughs> and so, so let's talk about leadership and management skills for a second, because that's obviously a huge aspect of the second generation stepping into the CEO role. So how can we make sure that that second generation or third generation is filling mm-hmm. that needed space? Well, I mean, we kind of alluded to this before that if you were to look around the table and say that we we have assembled a leadership team at a client, let's say they're building a strategic plan, we've identified who the key leaders are in the organization, and we've assembled them all at this you know virtual conference table. And if if you look around this table, you're going to see that people have developed their managerial and their leadership skill sets in all kinds of different ways. Some people went to school and maybe they got a bachelor's degree in some kind of technical area, and then they got a master's degree in management. Some other people 
maybe they had their own company, you know, they, they came up through the ranks, started their own company, sold it. We're still 20 years from retirement. They're like, I'll take a leadership position with a much larger company and, and finish out my time here. Some other people may have been there for 20 some years, right? And they've taken it upon themselves to go to night school and, and read tons and tons of books and up their personal education and professional development game. What does the second generation look like who's coming in? Especially if you're talking about somebody who's fairly young, right? And this is the opportunity of a lifetime, right? To come in as a young person and have the full faith and confidence of the company owner, who's your parent, to say, I believe you can do this and I want you to do this. And you want to do it, right? But what is your background? What is is your life's experience or your, your formal educational experience or your OJT experience that has built that leadership and managerial resume? And a lot of times it's non-existent. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, and the other thing is that if we looked around that table, a lot of the people around the table are going to have multiple experiences in multiple companies yeah. where they've learned to kind of compare and contrast the good and the bad from different companies. And they haven't had to learn everything by trial and error. They've learned a lot of their habits and practices and disciplines by just looking at which companies did things well that they worked at versus the companies that did poorly and then emulating the leaders they saw at the good companies. And when you have a second generation or a third generation coming up and their primary experience has been within your organization, you really need to take it upon yourself to engage in some formal leadership and professional development. Yep. And, you know, there's a lot of soft skills that come along with that, that, and, and you said it well, that we can't, we can't just focus on, am I hitting my number? Because if the people that you're supposed to be leading are not hitting their numbers, you're not being a very good leader. And there's an emotional intelligence portion to that realization mm-hmm. that kind of has to be called out and taught and drawn attention to. My experience is that that's rarely self-evident to most people, especially most young people. It's more as you mature and you get your teeth kicked in and you experience enough bad leaders and you say, I don't want to ever be like that person that you become a good leader. And if we want to accelerate that process, you really need to be much more intentional about the training that that second generation gets specifically in leadership and professional development. Yeah, that's good. So in the traditional approach, it's so much about the person that it's easy for that person to get an inflated view of themselves. It's easy for them to be prideful, to lead out of an authoritative position. But in the strategic approach, when it's more about the success of the company and everybody within it, then it's so much easier to facilitate this attitude of servant leadership. It's not about me. It's about the success of the company and how much more are the fellow employees, the team members going to be cheering on that second and third generation when they know that that person believes that they're there to serve and not just for the title of CEO to take a pay, a big paycheck home every right. day. Yeah. And, and they learn that best, I think, when they can witness mom and dad running the organization accountable to something bigger than themselves. Yeah. Right. So kids who grow up in businesses that just always provided bigger and better toys for the family to enjoy tend to look at the business as the toy provider. Mm-hmm. Situations where they've grown up where mom and dad have admitted that maybe they're not the best people for certain roles and responsibilities in the organization, especially as an organization grows and grows quickly and can outgrow their skill sets. And 
they tend to, they, they bring in people who are better at, at a job than they are. And like, I, I know I don't need to be the smartest person in the room. Oh, and by the way, I know that if we want to continue growing this and giving more opportunities for more people to come here and do it with us, then we can't pull every single penny out of the business. We yeah. have to reinvest back into the business and they develop some financial disciplines around that. Those kids learn growing up as teenagers talking about the business and hearing what we can and can't do. And it teaches that, you know, we are part of something bigger. The business is not accountable to us. We are accountable to the business. And I want to say business as much as I want to say organization, because what we're really talking about is the impact that that organization's having on the world at large through the employees that work there and being able to provide an environment for those people to really thrive and do their best work in the best way for the people around them, the customers and the vendors they work with. A, a kid who grows up having witnessed that is really set up for success. But we know that that's not the experience of most small business owners. Most small business owners are figuring this out as they go along and they may be pre early or, or maybe haven't even started their kind of strategic planning and execution discipline yet. And so if, if that, you know, if, if somebody were listening to this and they haven't done that, you know, I would say like, do that for the organization first, right? And it's going to pay tremendous benefits for the second generation, for your family that you want to be set them up for success. But, you know, a part of this always has to be about something bigger. And I'm going to advocate that it's, you know, it's for everybody on the team. It's not just for you and your family to make this work. Yeah, that's good. I like it. Anything else you'd add before we close it up? Maybe just one word of exhortation or encouragement yeah. for the parents. You know, you, your heart can be in the right place, but we all, all learn as parents, as our kids get older and become adults or closer to adulthood, that we can have the right answers and we can be saying all the right things and we can be even be saying the right things in the right way and still not be heard hmm. because we're the parents, right? <laughs> so this is one of those areas where I would encourage you to leverage other people that your kids will respect, that have credibility with them. And it, it could be people who are already in your organization, you know, who've watched these kids grow up and kind of kind of been maybe a, a great aunt or a great uncle to them yeah. and are good role models. And maybe they can come alongside and start to teach some of these professional development skill sets, as well as mentor them in the, in the operational role that they're filling as they're coming up through the ranks and being added to the leadership team. Yep. But also like you would be surprised at the progress somebody can make with a child, an adult child, who's outside the organization. And I'm not just tooting our own horn here, but we can be heard in ways that the parents can't. Mm -hmm. And, you know, other trusted advisors, you know, friends of the family, people that you know and would trust, you know, with your children, uh, you know, pouring into them can make great strides with your kids. And don't be frustrated by that, right? Yeah. Be encouraged by it. Don't bang your head against the wall. I mean, you're not going to be able to teach them everything. That's wise. So what I'm hearing is higher accent. <laughs> <laughs> A little self-serving. No, no self-serving. All right. Well, awesome. This was extremely valuable. Appreciate you taking the time to be on our podcast. <laughs> At least I could do. All right. Thank you, everyone. We'll see you next week. 